You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey folks, welcome to episode 15 of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. If you are an avid listener, you've heard me talk about it a few times before, but we are finally here. This is our first interview episode, and I am proud to announce that guest number one is Jeff Lindor, CEO and founder of Groomed Success, Inc., Groomed Success is a social enterprise designed specifically to enhance the lives of men of color through many different offerings, such as co-working space, a private membership network, and personal and professional development workshops. In this interview, Jeff and I get into a number of topics, including how he made the leap from employee at a pretty good gig to social entrepreneur. But not only that, how he convinced his family and friends to buy into the idea and actually invest. So without further ado, please enjoy our chat. Ready? Yes, I am. Jeff Lindor. How's it going? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You are the inaugural guest uh, on the December 26th or podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited. I I'm mean, excited to have you. Oh, you know, we man. go back a little bit now. Yes, yes. Um, happy to talk to you today. So I know what your company is, but... I want other people to know what your company is. So tell us, what is Groomed Success Inc.? Well, so Groomed Success, it it like it it really took a shift, you know. Uh, so I spent all of last year really taking a better look on how I could use the Groom Success platform to add value to the lives of men in our community. So originally it started out, you know, doing events, et cetera, you know, and then now I did a whole bunch of surveys, focus groups, because in business you really have to solve a problem, right? So the problem that we're solving is that there isn't really enough creative spaces for men of color to come to unite and to build and to connect with each other. So Groom Success actually shifted now into being called the Gentleman's Factory, which is a one-stop shop for uh, personal and professional development for uh, men of color age 25 and beyond. Awesome. Yeah. So how long have you been open at this point? It's been a little bit over a year now. A little bit over the yep, year. Yep, yep. So your background was not in entrepreneurship. Oh, hell no. So how'd you get started? I mean, it's just solving a problem, right? You know, I mean, my background, I've worked in so many different, like, you know, um, jobs and um industries, etc. And um, I was always really just like realizing that there weren't a lot of people who look like me in like high level positions. And, you know, in every job that I've had, like I've always like dominated it. Right. You know, and then I got promoted really quickly. And then the higher I went up, the less of me that I've seen. Right. You know, so it's kind of like I was speaking to someone the other day and then they said that, you know, um, being black in America, in corporate America or in government or whatever, like, you know, just like climb up the career ladder. It's kind of like you're going through a shredder, right? You know, and, right. uh, you know, and then they're stripping your cultural away and they're stripping everything away in a sense, right? Because oh, it's yeah. like, you, you, because now it's like we're kind of going through an identity crisis in a sense, right? You know, so uh, I totally forgot the question, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to make mention of that. Yeah. So the, you know, the question basically is how do you go from, you know, what's your background and how do you go from that to this? Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So then now it was just, again, really just looking to solve a problem, right? And then, you know, um, I wasn't an entrepreneur entrepreneur, but I created like groom success when I was in graduate school. I took a social entrepreneurship class where I learned how to build an enterprise off of what I was passionate about. And I was always passionate about fashion and community. So I merged those two worlds together and I called it groomed success. Right. So we would do like gentlemen's brunches and meetups, you know, at like different like venues at like, you know, in in, like we had a couple of events in the city, downtown Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, et cetera. 
And we were just like growing such a large following of men, but men, working class, entrepreneurs, executives, all in the same space and all in the same room. So then it just kind of really morphed to itself. And I just had to ask myself, is this a hobby or is this an enterprise? So I chose the enterprise route. Well, it's surely an enterprise for the benefit of our listeners. I will describe the space that we're in right now. Oh, so we're man. in this beautiful clock tower in Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue, yeah. right next to Brooklyn Botanical Gardens and Prospect Park. Right. Oh. It's gorgeous. I've had the opportunity to speak here in front of a crowd and the space is amazing with its exposed uh, exposed brick and all of that. However, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to lease a space right right next to Brooklyn Botanical Gardens and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to build a community and host events. So how do you go from being an employee to having the means to lease a space like this? Well, so um, I would say that, so like my last big event, so I was working full time, I married two children and I was, you know, working in a high level um, city government job. And I had this change agent mixer. So I would do quarterly change agent mixers, right? And my last mixer, I had over 300 men in wow. a room, right? You know, and it was at a hotel, um, you know, loft. It, it was just a, like a really nice space. And then that's when I said, yo, you know what, like this is something, right? You know, so um, then, you know, a lot of the guys kept on saying to me, hey, what's, you know, I need help with this or I need help with that. Or, you know, and then they're telling me like their personal, um, you know, stories or their things that they need help on. Like they're telling me, hey, I need help in, in my confidence or I need help finding a job or I need help, you know, getting married or et cetera. Right. And then they're looking at me as that resource, as that trusted source right. for information. So then, you know, I resigned from my job. And um, I didn't really know what groom success was, but I really needed time to develop, like, you know, to think about what it really is in a sense. Right. So I had so I had a couple of dollars saved, you know, and um, but um, the most powerful story of that is that I went to a couple of friends and family members and I said, hey, listen, you know, I need some money to really get this off of the ground. Well, I also need money to think because again, like I don't know what this is, but I know that it's something, right? Right. So then I said, hey, you know what? I have a couple of dollars saved, but if I run into a financial um, hardship, would you back me? And they said, yes. And also said, if I run into an opportunity, would you guys back me? And uh, they said, yes. And uh, the rest is history. Okay. So I want you to fill in some blanks, though, right? Because <laughs> you have a family. Yeah, mad blanks. Right? There, I know there's several blanks, right? So we all read these stories where people are like, I had this amazing idea. And like, I asked people for some money. Yeah. And the rest is history. Here we are with exposed brick and Florida stealing windows. And it's awesome, right? But right. we know, I have been an entrepreneur. So I know that there's a lot that goes into that and things are risky and things can get a little shaky and you don't know what's next. So you have a wife and children. So how does that conversation look with your wife when you say, I'm going to resign from my job? And I have this idea to serve a community, a community that looks like me. And I want to take our savings and dump it into this idea and swing for the fences. Yep. How did that conversation go? Well, we're still married, right? You know? That is amazing. Yes, that's great. <laughs> well, thank God, right? You know? Um, no, I mean, so, like, I was someone who is, like, I built a reputation of being someone who's a very serious person, right? So it's like, it's not like as though I'm, you know, just, like, have an idea and I'm like, hey, you know what? Well, let me just see if this works or let me see if it doesn't work, right? So it's like, I feel as though I was literally, like, designed by God to, you know, do this work, right? right? 
And, um, you know, and every single day, I feel even stronger about that because of all of the challenges that comes into it. And I don't think I ever thought once, damn, yo, like I should have stayed at my job, Mm -hmm. right? Or I've been, you know, getting job offers from different, you know, different spaces, like, like really high paying, you know, oh my God. And I decline it every single time. Like there was never a time that I said, damn, yo, you know what? I need to go back to work. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, so, so I'm saying all that to say that, you know, um, I like, this isn't like, I am someone that's not like known or seen as like some guy that just has an idea or some get rich quick scheme. Right. So because I'm, you know, married with two children, et cetera, that was kind of a testament to the um, friends and family to say, oh, wow. Like if this dude is willing to, you know, to like leave his comfort to take this risk, you know what? We need to back him. And if anyone can do it, this guy right here could because he's a very serious guy, you know? And did your wife say, babe, if anyone can do it, this, this guy, you're the guy who can do it? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, uh, did she ever say that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did, I think, right? You know? No, I mean, you know, she's been really supportive. I mean, like, I could just only imagine what she has to go through on a consistent basis because, you know, like, I was well over six figures and, mm-hmm. you know, like, with the first year, well, the first three years or they say the first five years in business like you aren't really making any money i mean i mean things have been you know um every single month like things have been progressing so i thank god for that but oh man like it was entrepreneurship is not for everyone it's not you know absolutely did it ever mess with your ego because you strike me as an alpha male Uh, you're you're a leader you're a visionary and you were making over six figures and you have this wife and children that you're able to take care Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. and then you're saying you know what i want to build legacy this is where i want to put my energy and passion and that means in the interim some things may have to change Mm -hmm. in relation Mm -hmm. to our lifestyle or how i'm able to be a provider for our family and and i think that a lot of 26ers that's where they run afoul because the ego says i don't have all of the outward appearances of success. Yep. People are going to think, what am I, what is this dude doing? Like yep. he's got a family. He's was a provider. Is she taking care of him now? Like yep. who's raising yep. his kids? Do they have trust funds? Yep. You know, are they going to be able to go to college, <laughs> et cetera? Yep. So did you ever have those conversations internally with your own ego? No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, like I have to see a therapist. I mean, like I have a, I have a therapist now, right? You I'm know? a huge proponent of therapy. Oh uh, yeah, way, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, and then have a great relationship with my pastor, et cetera. I mean, I thank God that I have like a support system mm-hmm. that really, you know, helps me navigate through this process because it's a journey where you can literally, you know, go crazy. Right. You know, I mean, you know, so there were definitely times where I looked at the account and I saw a a negative sign in there. Right. You know, and then I'm like, oh, uh, you know, uh, they hit me with all these overdraft fees, right? But then sometimes I'm like, yo, thank God that the bank actually accepted the payment, covered, right? right? You know, I mean, so like there's so many things that I can speak about, like in the first year of this journey where, you know, I mean, people wouldn't even believe it. I mean, but I think that like um, I had used this basketball analogy with a friend of mine the other day. And then I said that, you know, like every single day I feel as though I... Um, wake up in the morning and I'm down by like 15 points, fourth quarter, NBA finals, three minutes left, LeBron. I I am LeBron, the Cleveland Cavaliers, when they played San Antonio in his first right. NBA finals, right? You know what I'm saying, right? So it's like, yo, I, like, and that's how I feel every single day. Sometimes I feel as though I'm down by 10 points. Sometimes I feel as though I'm down by 50 points, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But every single day, like, I, I'm down, right? So you constantly have to turn nothing into something every single day. And that's what they call it a startup. 
you know? Right. So let's talk about turning nothing into groom success. Mm -hmm. How did you find this space? How did you find the clock tower? Yeah, well, so I was in a one... So I'm inside a co-working space called Brooklyn Commons, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I was... And I had a one-person office downstairs. And, you know, and that was like, you know, again, like I resigned from my job and I didn't even need an office until I was trying to get an intern. And there was this nonprofit organization that was going to give me an intern. And then they said, hey, you know what? Like, where's your office? And I'm like, oh, wait, my office is in my living room. I mean, like, yeah, right. like, I, darn, I need an office. Right. So then I get a one person office in this co-working space that I'm in. And, you know, I'm there for like two months, again, just really figuring out like what my business model is and what groom success is, et cetera. And then I get exposed to this, you know, clock tower duplex loft. And as soon as I came into the space, I said that this is mine, right? It's mine. So you knew in that moment. Yep, absolutely. I I just said, you know what, this is it. And it's interesting because I um, had the name The Gentleman's Factory, but at the time it was a online store and I was selling ties and bow ties and pocket square, like male accessories, right? But, you know, I copywritten it, like I trademarked the name, et cetera, and it was called The Gentleman's Factory. But then when I w- walked into the space, I said, no, like this is The this Gentleman's is Factory, right? And I always knew that I wanted to turn into like a social club in a sense. But as soon as I walked into the space, I said, you know what, this is it. Okay, so you knew this was it. How yeah. did you convince the owner of this building that that this is it? Well, I mean, so, I mean, I thank God, man. I mean, like, I, it was really, well, so then I went to those investors of mine and I said, hey, guys, you know what? Like, I see this space. I don't know what it is. I mean, like, I'm gonna call it the Gentleman's Factory. I think, like, we need some type of, like, social club for personal professional development for, like, men. And here's the thing, right? So, like, when it comes to, like, male professional development, personal development, or anything that's like disrupting. Well, so oftentimes, um, working class professional executive men are, that's a very underserved population, Mm -hmm, particularly men of color, because, you know, if you're making $75,000 a year, $80,000 a year, society looks at you as, as, oh my God, like, yo, you are great. Yo, you are safe. Yo, you don't have, you've done it. You don't have no issues. You went to college. Whoa, yo, you know what? You are a model for your community. Because, and and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you know, like I'm making $80,000 or $100,000 or $200,000 or a million dollars, but I'm not a billionaire or my community isn't the way that it should be, right? So it's like, I always knew that like that population, Mm -hmm. my population really needed um, attention and disruption in a sense, because it's normally like in the nonprofit space, right? You know, that like they say, you know, let's help the at-risk community. Right. But if you are making, if you're in the middle class, who cares about you, right? So that's really my um, focus in how do I, you know, if you're making $95,000 a year, how do you make $200,000 a year, right? right? Or like, what are the resources that you need to get to the next level? So, okay, but how do you go to family and friends and say, I have this this space and I want to lease it and I want to create this community for men of color and I'm going to monetize it. How do you sell that? Because it's not like a widget. It's not like I've got this app and I'm going to sell it for $1.99, right? I want to dis- disrupt the co-working community. I want to mm-hmm. disrupt professional development. But how do you sell that to people who may not be savvy on what it means to blaze a trail in an industry? Well, so the good thing is that like, you know, 
I they saw the like so they've been to previous events while I was working full time, right? So mm-hmm. like they saw like my first event, which was a gentleman's brunch. Um, and I had like fifty guys on a Saturday morning. Well, on a Saturday, like, you know, um noon, like mm-hmm. Saturday at twelve o'clock, fifty guys, they all paid to get in, et cetera. And then that's how I and that was like the first groom success event right and like they've seen the growth right so they you know seen how with all of like the externalities that i had that you know what like these guys like you know this is something right right so they said yeah so like now saying my pitch to them was hey you know what i was doing all of this full-time two children and like my full-time jobs were like really demanding right you know what I mean it was on an office job I was you know criminal justice reform healthcare reform and you know um education etc you know what I mean so it was like it was like it was demanding but they're saying oh yeah you know what like if you're able to do all of this while having all of the things that you're juggling my pitch to them was, yo, like, I'm literally going to devote my life into this company. So they weren't necessarily investing in a company, but they were investing in me, you know? And I think in most cases, that's what people are investing in, yep. the person. And if they feel you've got the goods, even if the product isn't completely built, yep. they will invest in that. And I think in, in our communities, particularly communities of color, people think that those opportunities are not there. Yep. So, and these, this is why it's so important for me to tell these stories yep. because it's easy to listen to a How I Built This or Tim Ferriss and someone who doesn't look like you says, I went to my dad and he threw $200,000 yeah. to my idea. <laughs> and you yeah, may be rolling right. your eyes and thinking, that's never going to happen yep, yep. You know, for me. But you did it. You yep. went to family and friends. It may not have been at a level, you know, of a Jeff Bezos, you've yeah. gotten that much money, but mm-hmm. you've got enough of a solid foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've raised um, like with the family and friends around initially, it was what, like $55,000. And that was enough to get started. Yep. And sustain you know I mean? a bit. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. $55, $55,000 just, just to figure it out, right? And I'm actually now going to do another um, investment round because like the, because last year or when I raised the 50, 50, 50 plus thousand dollars, it was again, just me figuring out, okay, what the mm-hmm. hell is this, right? So now that I have like a better baseline as to what this is, now I'm going to be raising, you know, quarter of a million, half a million, you know, to really um, provide the, you know, just the bootstrap. Sure. You know, and then in businesses, then now do the seed round, series A, et cetera. So like I'm so essentially like I'm not building like a small business, right? Like I'm right. really building like an enterprise for which we're looking to disrupt uh, the co-working model, you know? I'm with it. Yeah. But let's talk about the critics. Oh, man. Bit, the naysayers. Yeah. So yeah. what do you say to those people who are like, this is cool. This is cute. You know, you bring well-dressed, handsome men of color together to network and listen to some panels and some talks. This is not a multi-million dollar business. This is not an enterprise. This is a hobby that you're able to monetize at least a little bit to take care of you and your family. What do you say to those people? Well, I mean, I think that um, there was a pastor that said something so powerful. And he said, if you do not define who you are, you will allow other people to define you. And when they define you, they'll use their own definition. Right. So I know who I am. Right. So like, I mean, and of course, like there's so there's so many naysayers. I mean, sometimes I'm the naysayer, right? I'm sure. like, yo, Jeff, what the hell are you doing, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, you really need to like have confidence in yourself and confidence in what, you know, you were ordained and designed to do. Because if you listen to people, 
Oh, man. Listen, I mean, like, you can never win. Like, you can never win because everybody has so many different, like, everybody has a different perspective, right? So everybody has a different worldview. So if you, if I were to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to give, let's say if I was rich, right? And then I said, hey, I'm going to give a million dollars to the young men in Brooklyn. Someone's going to say, hey, why don't you give it to Queens, right? You know what I'm saying, right? So it's like, okay, I can't win, right? So I just have that mindset of just, you know what, let me just live out my dream and let me live out what I was designed to do so that I can change the world. Awesome. Well, I know, you know, the tide is turning, I think, particularly Mm -hmm. with Black Panther. There's a lot of Black pride in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But prior to that... I think back to a time where people felt pressure, people of color felt pressure to assimilate and integrate. You are unapologetically saying that you're building a space for men of color. Mm -hmm. Have you received any criticism for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, who cares, right? I mean, because here's the thing. I think that um, going back to like defining who we are, right? Like what I always tell people, particularly men, right? Like men of color, like we're so powerful. You know, we're so brilliant. We're so bright. But, you know, like society really likes to brand us as we are the scum of the earth. Absolutely. So because, you know, so now, of course, people are now going to say, oh, my God, like, why are you focusing on one segment of the population? Because that segment of the population really needs to be focused on. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's Mm -hmm. underserved. I mean, there's so many issues that's going on. And then, you know, and I'm not, um, you know, and and then with the population, it's really, you know, the working class professionals, executives, etc. Because, you know, like one of our members, you know, he is um, an attorney and he's, you know, he lives in in um, Jamaica, Queens. And, um, you know, he, um, no, well, he lives in, I think, Cambria Heights, right? But he grew up in like Southside Jamaica, et cetera. And, um, you know, now, you know, he was able to, you know, leave the, I mean, well, you know, he was able to, uh, you know, graduate, go to college, go to law school, et cetera, you know, and then, you know, and he has a house and he has a dog and he has a wife and he has a young daughter. So in his, so whenever he goes to the barbershop in his local community, everyone is looking at him like as though he's Jesus Christ, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my God, (laughs) this is the savior of the universe. Right. This is Obama. This is right. And now he is saying to himself, yo, what you yeah, what you mean? You know what I'm saying? I got student loan debt. Right. You know what I mean? Or I'm just wait, like, wait, like I'm the most successful person, you know, in in your life, in a sense. Right. So now it's kind of like, you know, he sees other realms of existence outside of their immediate proximity. Right. So because he sees that he's looking and he's realizing that, oh, man, you know, what? I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Right. He wants to get to the next level. He just doesn't necessarily know how to get there. Right. Whereas now his community is looking at him like, oh, my God, like he's the greatest of all times. I'm saying all that to say that that's just like the state of our community in a sense of, you know, there's only two, three black billionaires in the United States of America. There's Robert John, Robert Smith, I believe his name is Oprah and Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's three black billionaires. I find that incredibly problematic. That's crazy. And people think they look at me and they say, you know, you make great money. You're an attorney. Mm -hmm. You're doing well for yourself. And I'm thinking I've got a long way to go. So how do we change that mindset where people stop seeing success as I've hit six figures. I can take my kids to Disney World once a week (laughs) and I'm good. 
how do we how do we get past that? Well, so that's the problem that I'm solving with the gentleman's factory, right? Because what I realize is that men, particularly men of color, I mean, people of color, in, um, period, right? We're not necessarily talking to each other, right? You know, uh, we're not having conversations with each other as we ought to uh, or as frequently, right? Because, sure. you know, um, and it's kind of like that emotion, like whatever it is that you see another attorney or whenever you see someone that's like on your level, quote unquote, I'm saying that loosely, like, you know, amongst a whole bunch of white folks, you're like, you know, you give them the head nod or like, you're like, oh my God, like, yo, how did you get here, son? You know right. what I'm saying, right? So now I'm essentially like creating a space where it's a whole bunch of like-minded individuals from different career paths, from different, you know, um, walks of life. And another thing too is that society thinks that all people of color are the same. Like, you know, we, you know, it's one broad brush. We all think the same. We all, we all eat the same. We all love chicken. We all love hot sauce. We all love watermelon. Yeah, we all love watermelon, et cetera. No, like that's not necessarily the case, right? right? So it's like, you know, in here at the Gentleman's Factory, you're able to be in, you're able to be an individual inside a collective, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because um, society only just sees us as a collective and not individuals. So I want to touch on something because I think a village is really important. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go back to what you said about therapy as well, because mm -hmm. that's still a taboo yeah. in the black community. And I think there are probably more black women yeah. who are going to therapy at this point than black men. Do you, mm -hmm. Have you had sessions here at the Gentleman's Factory around emotional and mental health? Absolutely. Absolutely. Recently, we had a um, clinical psychologist, uh, Dr. Florence St. Jean, come to do a session on how to de-stress and remain in a positive state of mind. And that was actually about two weeks ago. So we had a massage therapist here. Nice. You know, she also did one like one on one consultation with the members here, et cetera. And then she also gave us like, you know, coping methods on how to like decrease stress and really just stay in a positive state of mind. And then I was and then that's really like the entry point to like mental health. Right. Because we're going to be doing more sessions on that, you know, and um, the members here really trust the offerings that we have here. So, you know, it's it, so I feel really happy that, you know, I'm able to bring on a clinical psychologist and then the guys are not saying, hey, you know what? Like, why are you bringing a shrink here, son? So I remember when I first told people I was going to therapy, you know, they looked at me like, but you seem so normal. As <laughs> if people who go to therapy are abnormal <laughs> and can't function uh, in society yeah. as a regular person with jobs and careers and family or et cetera. But in any event, you mentioned earlier that you made the decision to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Can you expound a little bit on what drove you to actually make that call? No, because I'm just crazy. No, 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 no. I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. No, I, you know, like I think that it's really important to uh, me mental health is so taboo in our community, right? So whenever you mention mental health, that's the first thing they say, yo, yo, you all right, son? Yo, you good? Yeah, I'm good, right? Right. But if, you know, but like I need to, you know, explore some of these emotions that I deal with with a professional, right? You know, uh, I need to talk to someone. I need to have conversations with someone. And then also too, so like um, people operate in life based off of the level of information they've obtained, right? So if I'm having... Um, stress reduction classes here. And I'm speaking with like, you know, folks in the industry of like mental health and counseling, et cetera. And they're friends and 
they're telling me the things that they do. And they're telling me, oh, yo, you know what? Like, no, Jeff, like you should speak to someone and not because um, I need to be on medication or something like that. Right. Like that's just what people do. Right. So because our community, you know, oftentimes don't necessarily even have the time or so we think that we don't have the time for that because we're out there hustling and paying bills, etc. You know, like there's so much trauma that we're going through and we don't even have the uh, and, and then we're not even exploring it and then unraveling some of the things that we've been through. That is the that like leads us into some of the challenges that we have now. Right. So because I'm fortunate enough to have like a very close friend who's a psychologist and, you know, friends that's in that space, they're saying, no, yo, Jeff, you know, just talk to someone, you know, and then I've had a couple of sessions and it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I personally have a belief that many of us who are high achieving, mm-hmm. Part of the reason why we achieve so much and go so far is because that's our drug of choice. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You push yeah. down your yeah. childhood issues, yep. things you've gone through. Oftentimes we're in predominantly white spaces yeah. where you're dealing maybe with racist microaggressions on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And you're pushing all of that down and just running, 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 achieving, achieving, achieving. Mm-hmm. This is why people get to 40 and yeah. or 35 and have a meltdown. Yeah. Because those things have not really been dealt with. Yep. And then and also, too, um, to be honest with you, like the real like I'm going to just be completely honest, Please like be completely honest. honest. The real reason why I'm going to therapy is because there's a show on Showtime called Billions, right? You know? Which I love. <laughs> right? Season two. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right now. <laughs> so now, Bobby Axelrod, who's a hedge fund manager, he, he's a billionaire, multi-billionaire, whatever. He has a therapist and like his whole team has a therapist. And we're like, I think, it, it, you know, she's called like the mental enhancement person that she, so whenever it is that they they're trying to close a deal. They just go to her office and then she's just saying, you know what? You guys could do it. Right. Right. So now I'm looking at that show and I'm like, oh, snap. We're like, these guys are millionaires, billionaires. And then they have someone that's coaching them through their mental challenges. I need one. Right. So billions is the reason why I'm seeing one. Right. Amazing right show, right? By the way. So I'm all caught up. <laughs> yep, yep, in the yep. recent episode in the, the new season, Bobby tells a story about childhood. I don't even yep. remember the exact story. I remember that. But yep. he basically said that's what drove him <laughs> to be this person. Yep. Yep. And one of the things that I have worked on with myself yeah. and engaged in a lot of introspection on is not feeling like I have something to prove. Yeah. Like I never want to work from a place of proving people wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, shutting down the critics. They're always going to be there. Whether, you you know, you're making 100 grand or 100 million or a billion, people are going to have something to say. How do you keep yourself grounded and make decisions from a space of vision, of exhausting your potential and not being reactionary because of criticism or because of what society says you need to do or or et cetera? Well, I mean, because like... I always go back to why I'm doing this, right? I mean, like, I'm not a full-time entrepreneur because I just kind of find a job, you know, whatever, right? I know the current state of our community, communities of color, the Black community. And because I know that and I'm constantly reading and I'm constantly just like, you know, analyzing data and really understanding like the wealth gap and all of the challenges that our community faces. So now that I know all of that and I'm looking to help solve that problem or, con- or to contribute to solve 
solving that problem, etc. I know that it's an uphill battle, right? You know, it's not going to be easy because if it's easy, then everyone would do it, right? So I think that that's kind of like the motivating factor in terms of why I'm doing this and how I then try to avoid all of the noise because there's so much noise, yes. right? You know, so I think that like you always have to go back to the why, like why are you doing this? And if you can't answer that question, then, you know, you're going to fall because there are going to be times where you, and again, like I said that I wake up and I'm down by 25 points, right? right. So like if if you listen to everyone saying, yo, you know what you're going to lose? You're going to lose. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me about a personal rock bottom that you've had. Oh. A moment where you weren't down by 25. Oh. It was a blowout. Oh. And you've got to come back from a lost game. There's no clutch oh, shot. There's no 10 God. seconds left on the clock. Tell me about one of those moments. In oh, my God. Oh, man. I mean, I have so many, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I, You know, like, I think the book got to come out for it. No, no, let me stop. Um, let's see. I mean, um, I'd say the entrepreneurial journey is that like cash flow. Cash flow is a problem when you have a startup, right? You know, so yeah, you know, like I raised some money. That money ran out quickly, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh my God. Yeah, right. If I could go back and to do some of the things that I've, to undo some of the things, I mean, oh my God, like I'd be, I mean, but you know, like everything is a learning, uh, is a process. What I would say is um, there was a time where I was um, awaiting a check right? Um, from a client or from a, uh, from somewhere like, in, 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 it was a $10,000 check. Yeah, I said the figures, $10,000, right? $10,000. And I was banking on that $10,000 to pay the office rent, to pay, you know, my home expenses and to pay like, you know, a consultant, etc. And, you know, I'm thinking that, you okay, cool. The money is good. Everything is going to work out. So then the um, client, misspelled the name Brooklyn, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, On the check. Dreaded so, typo. oh my God, a typo in the worst moment. So I could not find the check. My world is crumbling down. Like my accounts are negative. I mean, I'm not being able to pay all of, you know what I mean? Oh my God, like so much noise. I was, uh, so, and again, if that same thing happens to me now, then I would just say, well, you know what? It, it, like that's life, right? And then I can figure it out. But I'm like three months, five, like like three to five months into this entrepreneurial journey. So I'm thinking, oh my God, like, is the business going to shut down? Right. right? You know what I mean? Um, so um, the way that I was able, really able to like go around that is being around seasoned entrepreneurs and them telling me, yo, it's cool, bro. Like, don't worry about it. Right. Just have conversations with people. Right. Just say, hey, yo, you know what? Give me another week. I, um, am someone who really likes to please people and I don't know how to let somebody down, right? That's a personal challenge that I have even to this day. Right. So it's like me having a difficult conversation with someone to say, hey, you, you know what? Like, I can't pay you this week. Can you give me another extension? That was hard for me to do. Like a couple of weeks, I mean, you know, a couple of months ago. Now, I mean, I'm like, I'm a seasoned professional of that, right? You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but you know, like, I think that that, like, you know, so just like the entrepreneurial, like, cash flow issues in the early stages, that was something that at the time I thought that my life was literally going to crash, right? You know, so it's a, um, you know, it's a, um, you know, like I'm like forever learning, forever evolving, and I also had to learn in the entrepreneurial journey is that you can't have bad days. You could just only have bad moments, right? Absolutely true. So what I was doing in the early stages, I was having, I, I allowed that moment 
to take over my day. But as an entrepreneur, especially with no like working capital, you don't have the luxury of having bad days, right? You know, so it's really, again, learning how to manage your emotions and really learning how to really navigate that situation because I'm telling you, it's so tough. And if you don't capture it and take over it, then it'll take over you. Yeah, and I know personally how easy it is to become consumed by anxiety oh. because things aren't working out the way you thought they would or you've got a bad check. I've had checks lost in the mail. <laughs> Yep. Spellings, oh all God. kinds of things. I've had Lord. deals all oh. through the night before. I've seen it all. So what would you tell the young entrepreneur out there uh, about how to get centered? Like what top tip would you give them to not become consumed by the disappointment or the failure or the hiccup and to continue on uh, grounded in their day and continue to make progress? I would just tell them, listen, everybody out there is trying to figure it out. Right. There is no magic wand. Right. Like um, a friend of mine told me that some other day it was like, yo, you know what? Like nobody ran a successful business because they read a blog that said these are the 10 steps that you need right. to take. Right. You know what I'm saying? No. I mean, those things are important. Yeah. You know what? You got to learn and, you know, like get as much information as you can. But now nah, you just have to grind and hustle. Right. So what I would say to that entrepreneur is um, continue to test things. Right. You know, continue to take risks, continue to surround yourselves with individuals who are smarter than you so that they could then advise you to take a different route. But at the end of the day, you still have to just figure it out. Right. So, you know, take risks. You only live once. I'm not trying to quote Drake, but what he says, YOLO, right? YOLO, yo, 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 you only live once. Yo, just grind, man. Figure it out, man. And, and, and just continue to push. Yeah. And you mentioned before, you know, how you've evolved as an entrepreneur. Now I've seen you in action. I've seen you at an event. You are Mr. Community. Right? You know everyone, obviously very articulate and charismatic. Were you always this person or did you evolve into this? Were you the A student who was like student council president and involved in all the activities, you know, gotten to your top choice college, et cetera? Or has this developed over time? Man, yo, wow. Um, I have a very interesting story and I don't want to bore you with the details. No, you should. But no. No, Tell I mean, us about it. <laughs> so I was born in Haiti. Mm -hmm. I moved to Coney Island, um, you know, which was a really, you know, at risk community um, growing up. And um, so Coney Island was a really interesting place because it was so it's the 11224 zip code. Right. Mm -hmm. So the 11224 zip code, it's a gated community in there called Seagate, where it's like the millionaires, you know, um, like beachfront homes, etc. And like, you know, where the black and brown people live, it was just nothing but the projects, right? You know, and then, so like we were sandwiched. So Seagate was the top bread. Coney Island was the meat, like the, the, the projects was the meat. And then we were close to Brighton Beach, which, which is like waterfront property, et cetera, right? You know what I mean? So I was always saying, damn, like, why is it that black people who lives in the zip code, we're the ones that's like, you know, um, in poverty, broken, hopping to turnstiles, et cetera, while I'm seeing Bentleys surrounding me, right? So that, so that was number one. Number two, I... Um, had a stuttering problem, right? So I could not speak. My stuttering was, it was so bad. Wow. It was so bad. I'm talking about like I had issues and for those who stutter um, or know about stuttering, like you have issues with saying certain words, right? Like the words that begins with certain letters, right? So I had issues saying the L word, 
anything that begins with L. And coincidentally, my name is Jeff Lindor. So I had issues saying my last name. I also had issues with N-words, right? So I was, um, so I lived on Neptune on 33rd Street, right? So um, in Coney Island, um, it's the last train stop on the B, the Q, the F. Like, it's pretty much like the last, like, it's the end of the world, right? You know what I mean? In New York City. It's that I fell asleep stop. Yeah, yeah, it, it is that I fell asleep stop. It's like, oh, damn, I'm in Coney Island. So anyway, um, so now I lived on Neptune and 33rd. And when you would get off the subway, it's it's still well. And that's like like 17th Street in a sense. Right. So like I lived about like a about like a mile away. Now I would get on the dollar van and a dollar van would now I would then say tell them drop me off at Neptune and 33rd. But I had issues saying the N word. Right. Could not say the N word. So anytime that I would say Neptune, like I, it was like a blame, like a like it was like I was choking. Right. You know, I just couldn't say it. Right. So um, then I would because I couldn't say Neptune and 33rd. I would tell the cab driver to drop me off at Blockbuster because I had no issues with saying words that begin with B. So I told them to drop me off at Blockbuster. And I would still pay the $2 or the dollar. I don't even remember how much it was at the time. So I would pay the dollar, get off at Blockbuster and walk three blocks to my house. Because Just to avoid... I couldn't say my address. Right. So that was my childhood. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so what that did, though, and that was the best experience ever because I couldn't necessarily speak well, but I was able to listen. So because I was able to listen, I'm constantly hearing what people have to say. I'm hearing issues and I'm hearing, you know, like, you know, just like the problems that people have. And I couldn't contribute to the conversation because I just couldn't necessarily speak. And I didn't want people to make fun of me, et cetera. Right. So like that was like my like childhood all the way up until like I think high school. Right. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a tra- like traumatic times. Oh, man. Ugh. And what was your family dynamic like? Yeah, I mean, my family is the greatest family of all times, right? You know what I mean? Um, I thank God that I lived with both my parents. I mean, like, you know, my father and my mother, you know. So going back to like the Coney Island experience, right? So it was interesting because I was raised in like the projects of like a very tough environment. Uh, But in my house, it was Haiti, right? You know, so um, like extremely conservative parents. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't even watch television. Like I could just only watch Channel 13. Right. You know what I mean? I was like reading Rainbow and stuff like PBS. that. Right? You know what I mean? PBS. Right. Don't you know? sleep on reading yeah, Rainbow. Yeah, nah, nah. That show was tough. I like reading Rainbow. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like I can literally just only watch like certain. Um, t- so like I was, you know, raised in a very conservative environment for which it sheltered me in a sense. It was kind of like I was living both worlds because I was living in this like really strict environment in when I would close my door and when I would be with my like mother, father and both of my sisters. But as soon as I like opened the door, I was in the hood. Right. So I had to learn how to navigate both worlds. And it was tough. But I learned emotional intelligence based upon, you know, the environment that I was raised in. So street smarts is the the Harvard Business School can't 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 teach you street smarts. And this is why I love asking people about their upbringing, because often the people that I know who are able to move through different circles seamlessly is because they were living in one environment. School might have been a different environment and then their community might have been a third environment. And you learn how to adapt to the circumstances that you're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had an added layer of being of Haitian descent, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, were you teased as a child? 
Yeah, I mean, so like, um, and it was interesting though because I remember there was a time where I would even like I wouldn't even tell anyone that I was Haitian, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Now, like saying Haitian, that's like, oh man, like you know, you're like, you know, like it has such a really strong brand now. But right. growing up, oh man, like I would hide the fact that I was Haitian, right? And then now I'm like, wow, man, like you know, that's a disrespect to like my ancestors and everyone. But you know, I, I like I going back to like defining who we are. What I was saying earlier, you know, like the you know, like society is defining who we are constantly. Even now when I'm seeing, you know, just like the, how like Haiti is being spoken about. Yeah. Like, you know, there are issues in Haiti similar to how there are issues in um, Park Avenue. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know what I mean? But the folks on Park Avenue tells their story. Right. You know, folks in Haiti, we're not necessarily telling our story. The story is being told for us, you know, so. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in a time where 45. OK. I won't speak his name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he said some pretty defamatory comments about your homeland. Yeah. 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 Are you able to integrate activism into the work that you do? Have you been able to speak out or do you feel like you have the freedom to do so as an entrepreneur who's building a business? Yeah. I mean, so like there's so many issues like so like our community has so many like so many not even issues, but like we really need to like do a deep dive, like a root cause analysis. And how do we solve the issues uh, that affects our community? And it's kind of like you're trying to clean a room and you don't know like where to begin. Like the room is pretty dirty. You don't know where to begin. Do you clean? Do you start with the closet? Do you start under the bed? Do you clean the bed? You know what I mean? So that's kind of like where I am right now with the business, you know, because I'm saying, okay, so do I focus on, you know, only black men? But what about Latino men? What about the at risk? youth, right? What about the working classmen? What about the executives? What about, you know what I mean? So like, I'm devoting my life to solving this problem. I mean, I'm not planning on going back to work ever again, right? And if that is, it'll probably be on a consulting role, consulting governments or consulting, you know, sitting on boards, etc. But like, I'm like, you know, so I'm in here for the long haul. So and then people always constantly say, hey, oh, Jeff, like, so there was a shooting that just happened in Crown Heights, I think two days ago, like a police officer killed a man that was mentally challenged, you know, and then I'm in a group chat and a friend of mine was saying, oh, my God, like, Jeff, what is the gentleman's factory going to do about that? And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, I just started, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, let me, right. um, you know, have my revenue model straight and let me continue to build this so that I could be in a capacity to have a more, um, because we're doing great work now, right? But, you know, how do we have more of an environmental change rather than me just going to a protest and, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? Like being a um, part of the new cycle, right? So those are the things that I'm really trying to just wrap around. Like, how do we literally change the world? Right. And I mean, I'm a huge proponent of entrepreneurial activism. Yeah. You're going to have boots on the ground. Those folks who are out there marching and getting thrown in the back of a paddy wagon, which we need. Yeah. That is what changed the course of our history in this country. But we also need to build resources and capital so that we can bail you out. Yeah. 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 Create programs that help the next generation to have a different course. Absolutely. Absolutely. And their their parents did. So. I, I see you as someone who's active in the community um, and maybe in a different way. Yeah. You're not out there marching necessarily. But as I mentioned earlier, I've spoken on an event here and I remember, you know, coming that day to speak on the event and we're kind of waiting for people to show up. And my personal philosophy is whether there are two people in the crowd or 2000 or 2 million, I'm going to give the same energy yeah. uh, to that audience because every person counts. So I don't pay attention to numbers. But I remember that day we had a handful of people here. We were waiting to get started and you sent out a message 
like a Facebook message or a tweet or Instagram or something and said, hey, we're here. You know, we're, we're going to get started. Where are you guys? Yeah. And the room was packed in like 30 minutes. Everybody showed up. Clearly, Jeff is that dude. Jeff, Jeff knows people. So how do you build that kind of brand yeah. equity in the community, mm -hmm. especially in a metropolitan area yeah. where our attention is divided, yeah. right? I get invites every day. Yeah. I'm yeah. always trying to navigate this obligation over here. So I got to stop by this happy hour, then meet this person for dinner. How do you get to the point where when you put something out there, you know, butts are going to be in the seats. People right. are, are going to show up. Well, it's just um, adding value to their lives, right? You know, I mean, people don't want their time to be wasted, right? So now if they know that, yo, you know what? They're, this company, the Jones Factory, every time I come through these doors, yo, it's like I don't leave the same way I came in. I either met someone, I either got a great resource, I was just inspired, etc. Right? So it's, and then that didn't happen overnight, right? You know what I mean? Um, it like took and then you know so it like took the grind the understanding the surveys the focus groups really you know just understanding what are the needs of the community uh because you know what we're really trying to do here is really trying to tap into a population that does not necessarily get their voice heard loud enough right you know, um, so a lot of times when people come here, they say that, yo, you know what? I feel safe here, right? Like there's a level of safety and comfort here because I understand, right? You know, so we're culturally competent. So, you know, um, yeah. So, and, and then, and again, like, you know, that's something that did not just happen over, uh, you know, overnight, right? Like we're really, you know, always making sure that we um, are capturing the audience and understanding what they need. Last night I did a survey with a membership here, you know, so we have over 40 members here so far. Are, you know, then we're looking to have, um, you know, about 100 within like the next month or two months or so. Right. So like we'll probably outgrow this space as we have more spaces across the city, across the country. But, you know, like the programming that we have here, it's not just me saying, oh, well, I read this article and I think that no, like asking, hey, like, what are your challenges? Right. You know, um, do you like a job? Right. Or what do you or, or hey, you know, because, again, like I was saying, you know, if they're making seventy, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year in their immediate community, they are yo, they're the Black Panther, right? You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Honda forever. Right, right. No, but then now we don't take that, oh, you're the most successful person in the world approach. We're saying, Hey, what do you need to get better? And we're speaking directly to them. So how long have you been open here? So uh about a little bit over a year now, a little okay. bit over a year, a little over a year. So in many of your blurbs online, you have a statement that you're going to be dedicating the next 25 years yep. of your life to, I'll let you finish. To solving the issues of the problems in the black community, right? And it's not only going to be for gentlemen, right? You know, I mean, it's um, the community as a whole. I'm starting with gentlemen now um, and we'll just see where it goes, right? You know, but just back to saying how like you're cleaning a room and I'm starting, I guess, on a bed or in the closet, et cetera. But I'm really just trying to build wealth and get the capital to really like do a deep dive on 
uh, changing our communities and changing our lives. So what made you put the time limit on it? 25 years. Specifically. You're a young dude. Like, you're going to live well beyond that, that time period. Well, I mean, because then now, like I'll, you know, because when I'm a little bit older, like we'll like see what my next venture would be. Maybe I'll like run for president or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, who knows? Well, right. You know? Let me find well, out. <laughs> not president because I wasn't born in this country. Right. But I mean, like maybe, you know, maybe I'll like be the mayor or the governor or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Like, who knows? You know, but uh, uh, and, you know, like I like putting time limits, too, so that I can say, oh, you know what, like, hey, you know, I'll probably be a billionaire when I'm in, you know, when I'm in my 50s or something like that. Right. How can I then now use that money to solve other issues? You know, because if I don't put a time limit, then that means that the problem is going to continue to happen. So I'm saying, yo, you know, in 25 years, my community is not going to look the same way and it's going to be drastic changes because I'm here to disrupt it. And it's not Jeff Lindor. I'm building an army to help tackle those problems as well. That's that's a lofty goal. But I know you, if anybody can achieve it, it's you. In 25 years, you, you can change a community in that time. You can transform an entire community. I, I am convinced. Oh, man. But what does your day-to-day look like now? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, so, um, uh, um, uh, you know, wake up at 6 o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, in the morning. Uh give my two kids a bath. <laughs> You're on daddy duty. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Uh, make sure they have breakfast. Uh, you know, drop them off to school. Then I come straight here, right? Then I come straight here and, you know, just grinding and, you know, I come home, you know, and then I'm, you know, and then I'm making phone calls and I'm like, you know, uh, just planning, you know, um, pitching investors or, you know what I mean? Like every single day is different because it's a startup, right? So it's literally like start, like turning nothing into something constantly. So every single day looks different, but, you know, like I always try to be home at a reasonable time so that my wife doesn't leave me. Right. You know, uh, uh, um, but uh, yeah, you know, so it's, oh man, you know, the this is the best experience ever. It is. I tell people all the time, you know, having been an entrepreneur, it was the best, worst thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) It's great. It's very fulfilling. Um, You get a lot out of it, but the bumps and the bruises you take along the way. Right, right, right. So I know for me, what would keep me going often is drawing inspiration from other people. So we have a feature that we do on the December 26th or Instagram page called Famous Figure Friday, where yeah. we tell someone's story, how they built something from nothing mm-hmm. and sort of wrap it up and tie it up in a bow with a, a neat little lesson. Whose story inspires you? <sighs> Whose story inspires me? Um, I'd say a lot of people, but if I can pick one person particularly, I would say... Oh, man, that's a really great question. Um, I think it's a collective, right? I mean, the reason why is because, like, I learn from... So I have a gentleman's social network here at the Gentleman's Factory. Their stories inspire me, right? Because it's men from all walks of life. I'm learning from them constantly, right? You know, I'm not smarter than them. They're not necessarily smarter than me. They have a different skill set than I have, right? You know, so our membership pool... We have the doctor, we have the attorney, we have the tech guy, we have the graduate student. I'm learning from them constantly. So, and I think that their stories inspire me the most, right? Because number one, you know, like I'm with them all the time, right? You know what I mean? But then also too, just them, you know, just encouraging me and then me encouraging them is building up a community. So I think that like they're the real MVPs, you know, for them also trusting and believing in this mission. I call them peer motivators. Yep, yep, yep. That's yep, my yep, uh, yep. my favorite term. Absolutely. The homies who are where you are, they know where you're going, where you're trying to go, and they're in the trenches yep, with you. Yep, yep, absolutely. 
So you mentioned membership. I know that's one way you've monetized the Gentleman's Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, but just so the listeners know, we actually had to stop the podcast so that you can give a couple of tours here. Yeah. Do you allow people to host events? Is that another revenue source? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, we have a duplex loft in uh, Prospect Lefferts Gardens, right across the street from the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens, Prospect Park, etc. So it, it, it is a really dope space. So we do rent it out, you know, folks for their... Um, you know, for their events, for their parties, for their, you know, like for their panel discussions, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, this is a creative space. So, and then like, we're always really, you know, careful on who we rent it out to because we don't want, you know, like, uh, uh, when someone puts Gentleman's Factory on Instagram and, you know, we see a whole bunch of ratchetness, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. right. Can't do that. Can't dilute the brand. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, it definitely has to be on brand. But yeah, no, like, you know, we have a, like a, we have like a music, um, um, you know, so like we have like a couple of musicians that rents it out for open mics too. So we're, yeah, so we're constantly like renting it out as an added revenue stream, yeah. Okay, so you've got the members, you're giving tours, you're hosting events. Yep. How do you manage your time? How do you ensure peak productivity on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, so when I figure that out, please. I mean, when <laughs> when, when someone figures that out, please let me know. I have no idea. So, I mean, so like, like being an entrepreneur, like you have to under, like you have to know what you're good at and what you're not good at, right? So I am very, I'm such a high level thinker, visionary. Details though? <laughs> nah, right? So, I mean, I, you know, try to get as much, you know, admin support as possible, but I don't have the um, capacity now to like hire someone full time. So, you know, I mean, I have interns and I have, you know, um, just just folks that's trying to assist me the best way they know how. But that's the reason why, like, I'm raising capital so that I can, you know, like bootstrap. So all of the things that I'm not good at to delegate and to have someone who like that's actually their job to do to um, help it take it to uh, take it to the next level. You know. Okay. so two more questions. First, I'm just throwing this one on mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. How do you ensure a successful pitch with an investor? How do you lead strong in those conversations? Confidence, right? Because they're investing in you, right? So they're investing in their in your ability to just figure it out, right? So um, I'm a very confident person and it stems back to my stuttering, you know, because I had to then be confident because I remember people laughing at me and I remember, you know, me trying to get that word out when I just could not. So it was like that confidence in believing that, no, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say that N word, right? And not and 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 not the N word that we say, you know what I mean? But no, I'm gonna say Neptune and Thirty Third, and I'm gonna say my last name, right? So that was really so like you know, I do think that there was like some spiritual intervention that like led me to not stuttering anymore. But then it also was like the confidence in my ability to just just go guns blazing. So going back to the investor, it's really, you know, just having a product, you know, having a, um, you know, revenue streams and really understanding what you're trying to do. But it really all boils down to confidence because the investor needs to believe that, you know what, if I give this team or this individual a million dollars, that they will then now have the ability to just figure it out when things don't go as planned. Because there's no um, business plan that had a negative cash flow. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. It's like, always fail proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think there's any ever. There's not one business plan in history of business plans that said, no, you know what? We're going to lose all our money. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So because of that, you know, yes, the investor wants to invest into the business, but they want to invest in the team and the and in the individual so that they can say, oh, you know what? Like when the tough times come, they'll be able to figure it out. So it is confidence, you know? 
So I want to touch on that a little bit more because I think we've all had moments where our confidence has been shaken Mm -hmm. or we can't quite see the clear vision of where we're supposed to go or what the next step should be. So tell me about a time when you've had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. And what I mean is in a moment where you were trying to figure it out, but didn't yet have the answers, but the confidence wasn't necessarily as strong as it could be either. Wow. Um, I would say, uh, I would say when I was trying to date my wife, Really? I'm, I'm sitting up with this. <laughs> because um, I don't think my confidence was nowhere near. And mind you, you know, like we've been married for like eight, seven years now. Right. You know what I mean? So I was, you know, a little scr- scrawny little like, you know, I just graduated from college. So you were like 22. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I was like 22. Yeah, I was 22. Right. So like my confidence was in beta mode. Right. So it was in development. So, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, so like I was a cornball. You know, I had no confidence. I was skinny. I had no swag. Right. You know, but um, I think that she um, she also thought that I was a lame. Right. You know what I mean? I think that was probably also spiritual intervention, divine <laughs> intervention. That's how I, how, how I got that woman. But yeah, I mean, but like, I think that one thing with me, though, is that if I want something right, I will get it. And I'm not calling my wife a thing. Right. But like, I, I just have the mentality that even even though I may not be where I want to be, that particular thing or person that I want, right? You know, I'm going to eventually, um, you know, um, conquer. Okay, so right? you were fresh out of school. Did you have a job lined up? <laughs> Hell no, right? No you job. Know? Nah, of course not. Okay, you know? I was so, still living with my mama, right? All right, living yeah. with your mama, no job. You uh-huh. have the degree, though. Yep, 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 yep. You have yep, a degree, but yep. you're corny. Yep. What corny. does being extraordinary look like when you are trying to pursue a young lady who knows you're corny, <laughs> knows you don't yet have that job? What does that look like? Yo, I don't even know. I mean, uh, I think... It's just mustering up the courage to believe in yourself, right? You know, because if you know that you're not, and that goes with everything, that goes with a job, that goes with pursuing a woman, that that goes, like, you know that you're not qualified, right? In a sense, right? But it's those intangibles that can't be taught in school. It can't be, it, it's just something embedded in you that you just have to believe to say, yo, you know what, even though the um, on paper, right? <laughs> but God, no, no, no. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? But like, yo, like I know that, you know what, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to pursue and I'm going to figure out how to get it. So it sounds like you approached that situation the same way you approach investors. Absolutely. Focusing on the intangible. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> well, listen, Jeff, I know you've got a lot to do today. <laughs> this has been an awesome conversation. This was great. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Where can people find you on social media? So um, on Instagram, it's at Gentleman's Factory underscore. So it's gentleman with an E instead of a so it's gentlemen with a so m-e-n uh gentleman's factory underscore and um the same um on the web so it's uh com or uh groomed and that's g-r-o-o-m-e-d 
success. Groomedsuccess.com. And also just with my name, Jeff Lindor, J-E-F-F. Lindor, wait, hold on, right? I can say my last name now, right? (laughs) Right? Jeff Lindor, L-I-N-D-O-R. And what's coming up here, Gentleman's Factory? So um, we have um, the co-founder of Blavity, John Jackson, coming in, um, you know, in a couple of weeks. We also have the vice president of the Urban League. You know, we have a, uh, who else we have? I mean, you know, we're doing more like, you know, workshops, career development workshops. You know, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have LinkedIn coming in here. So it's really, you know, we're constantly evolving. And because I just put out the survey yesterday with my members, a lot of that like data is now going to be, implemented in terms of what they want because right now you know like i I have an idea but this information that they provided is going to help better gauge the trajectory of the company cool well i'm excited to support when you allow the sisters yeah uh, yeah, i mean you know join the crew we'll see we'll see we'll see those of you who are out there listening please do not forget to check out jeff online and support the gentleman's factory and as always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day take care thank you Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.